Two weeks ago, we began looking at this letter of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, wrote this letter to the early Christians scattered, dispersed from Rome. But it's not just a message for the church in those days. It's a, it's a letter to the church now. And thus far in this letter, Peter is establishing reminders of who we are, our identity, who we are in Jesus, what Jesus has done in our lives. And this is something that I want you to remember. What Jesus has done in our lives should impact and influence how we live. Let me say that again. What Jesus has done in our lives should impact and influence how we live. In essence, Peter is saying, remember who you are. And last week at the very beginning of chapter 2, we heard Peter say this. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Wow. I mean, that right there, you can't get any more direct. I mean, Peter, he doesn't fool around. He doesn't mince words. He says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, and coming to him as a as to a living stone which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through, through Jesus. We who have tasted the kindness of the Lord, we, we come to Jesus. Jesus, the living stone, the foundation of our faith, the cornerstone of our faith. And, and this word cornerstone, we... When we hear people talk about the Bible, we hear about Scripture, we hear about the things of God, we, we see and we hear a lot this word cornerstone. And we see it early on in, in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 118, a stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. A cornerstone is a stone of foundation, a stone which sets the direction for everything else in the building structure. I'm not a builder, never have been. I, Lincoln Logs and Legos were, were just about it for me. But I understand why, why any structure would require a sturdy foundation. Why would builders reject a stone? What are the reasons? Well, maybe the builders don't think the stone is up to snuff. Maybe the stone is not sufficient. And this precious cornerstone, which we will see in verse 7, has been rejected by people. In Peter's audience in his day and time, he's addressing not just unbelieving non-Jewish people or Gentiles, but he's also addressing those in the Jewish nation who've refused to accept Jesus as the Messiah, this one who is the son of David, who will sit on David's throne forever. You know, there are people, even today in 2021, who refuse to accept Jesus as Lord, refuse to accept Jesus as Savior. They reject him. And, and, and this precious cornerstone has been rejected by people, rejected by those who have not, do not, and will not acknowledge and confess their sin. He's been rejected by those who have not, who do not, and who will not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Those who have not and do not and will not acknowledge the need to ask Jesus for forgiveness of sin, those are the ones who reject Jesus. Jesus, choice and precious in the sight of God, marvelous in our eyes. If we've tasted of the kindness of God in salvation, 
we are called by Peter living stones, which again sounds very strange. We are, we are being built, we are stones being built up in a spiritual house with Jesus as this cornerstone which sets the direction for everything else. Jesus is the foundation of this spiritual house in which we are a part. One writer said it this way, a building which is not material but it's spiritual and it's consisting of not dead stones, it's not consisting of rocks, granite, but of souls which are set aside for salvation. They're sanctified souls and they're not resting on an earthly foundation, but they're resting on that rock which is Christ. Jesus Christ, our solid rock. And when we think of this spiritual house, we think of this idea of temple, we, we think of, again, when you hear the word temple and prayer, you think of priests. You have this image of what a, what a priest looks like, and, and you see this word priesthood. And, and, and these stones in the spiritual temple are living stones, and they're also priests. And, and it sounds foreign to us, but this was the initial plan which God had for his people, the Israelites. And, and what happens if we go back far enough to the time when the Israelites leave Egypt, the Exodus, and they, they cross the Red Sea and they're going to the Promised Land. Well, three months after the Exodus in Egypt, in the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 19, three months after the Exodus, the Israelites, they're traveling along and they come to this mountain called Sinai. And they, they're camping out in the wilderness. I mean, you've got to remember, it's a whole nation. They need a lot of room and they come and they camp out at the foot of this mountain. And Moses... We've all heard of Moses. Moses goes up to God and the Lord calls him from the mountain and he says, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. This is what you're going to say to the nation. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I've brought you through the Red Sea. I defeated Pharaoh's armies. I've brought you, I've saved you, and I've brought you to myself. And then the Lord says this to Moses to tell the nation, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and you keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession, my special treasure. Some of your Bibles might even use the word peculiar, which is kind of odd. You'll be my own special possession, my own special treasure among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. The Lord created all of this. We, in 2021, have a... Sometimes we forget that... God's in charge, period. But what the Lord says, all the earth is mine and you, the nation of Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And Peter, in this letter this morning, he says that this priesthood offers spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus. And this is where this hits us. Because of what Jesus has done for you and for me, all of us, the believers the world over, who would follow the Lord, we are to be mediators. We're to be intercessors between each other and the Lord. We, we are to be, in essence, we are to be priests to one another and for one another, and we're to point each other to Christ and into the things of God. And some of you are thinking, Jake, well, we don't have priests in the Baptist church. Well, here's 
what we need to be reminded of our Baptist heritage, and, and we can have a little Baptist history lesson, but we're not going to take a side road into that. But there's this term called the priesthood of the believer. And as Peter is reminding us this morning, he's saying, remember who you are. You can pray for one another. You can intercede to the Lord for one another. And we do that. We pray weekly here at church. We get on the hotline. We pray for each other on the phone. We are functioning as the church. Our student minister, she prays with the students every week. It's, it's what we do. And, and that's what Peter's saying. Remember, remember who we are. Remember who you are. This is what you're supposed to be doing. It's a privilege and a responsibility which we have to each other in the church. It's not just the privilege of the pastor to pray for you. We can pray for each other. And then Peter says this. He says there in verse 6, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. This, this picture, again, of a cornerstone, this stone of foundation, this stone which sets the direction for everything else in this building structure, it's seen other places in the Old Testament. And years before Peter's ministry, in fact, years before Jesus' earthly ministry, the kingdom of Judah, you had the kingdom of Israel, and like a lot of families and cousins, they can't get along and they split up. All right, so you've got the kingdom of Judah and Israel, they're separate. And the kingdom of Judah is following their own wicked way. You know, really no different than how we are. The natural drift of ourselves is to self. Because we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. In the kingdom of Judah, they're following their own path. They're not obedient to the Lord. But God gives them a warning through the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah wrote that huge book there in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 28, we read these words. Hear the word of the Lord, because you have said we have made a covenant with death. What? And with the grave. This is strange. We have made a pact with the grave, for we have made falsehood our refuge, and we've concealed ourselves with deception. Basically, the nation is saying they will trust in anything as long as it's not the Lord. Sounds a lot like 2021, doesn't it? Trust in anything as long as it's not the Lord. And then God says this, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed, and he who believes in it will not be disturbed. The man, the woman, the child who believes in this precious cornerstone will not be put to shame, will not be disappointed. And then Isaiah says this, This stone which the builders have rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. And Isaiah quotes what we read at the very beginning of our time this morning from Psalm 118. A little bit earlier in Isaiah, we see another word of prophecy about the evil nation Isaiah chapter 8, we see this. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. We have to be reminded of that in 2021 as well, don't we? That God is holy. And he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. But then we see this. Then he will become a sanctuary. The Lord wants to save us, but we've got to come to him with respect. We've got to call on him in His holiness to save us. And then Isaiah says, He will become a sanctuary. And he says this then in Isaiah 8. 
to both the houses of Israel. I told you they were fighting and not getting along. There's two houses of Israel. To both the houses, this cornerstone will be a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. I'm going to say that again. And I want you to make a note of this because you're going to see this again. A stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. Many will stumble over them and they will fall and they will be broken. Way back in his day, Isaiah is warning both these kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdoms, and their leaders and their priests, that the Holy One is coming. The Holy One is coming. And you know, the Holy One, Jesus, did come, and He's coming again. He's coming in judgment. And He's saying to them, you will find fear, you will find dread, but you will find sanctuary. And that promise still holds true today. The Lord is coming, but we can find salvation and sanctuary in Him. This Holy One, the Messiah, is going to be both a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. Peter tells us this morning in verse 7 in his letter, this precious value then is for you who believe. Wow! It's for us! If we've trusted in what Jesus has done, all of this is for us. But then Peter says this, But for unbelievers... A stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Peter says, for they stumble because they're disobedient. They're disobedient to the word and to this they were also appointed. Those unbelievers stumble. They stumble because they're disobedient to the word of God. They're disobedient to the things of God. And then Peter says something really weird. He says, to this they were also appointed. What what does that mean? Well, all who hear the gospel will not accept it. And that's that's a sad tragedy for your pastor to know that he will share things, he will share the gospel, and not all who hear it will trust it. We don't have to read too far into the New Testament to see how this plays out. We see this. And and if you've read the end of the book, if you've read the end of the Bible, we know that not all will trust Jesus for salvation. Not all will confess their sins. Not all will entrust themselves and their lives and their, their desires to the things of God. They will not trust Jesus for salvation. Peter says this in verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are called the following. Listen to how Peter refers to us. A chosen people, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Look at, who, look at our identity. Remember who you are. Peter's saying, remember who you are. And it reflects what we just saw in Exodus when when the Israelites came to Mount Sinai. It's exactly what the Lord told Moses to tell them. The difference is, though, for us, this is for the New Testament Christian church now because it's fulfilled in the person and the sacrifice of Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, He became the sacrifice as a priest He became His own sacrifice for us. And we are now this chosen people, this royal priesthood, this holy nation. Remember who we are. This word peculiar, this word peculiar is 
Well, it's peculiar. <laughs> um, one writer said it like this. The word rendered peculiar means making over and above. In those days, it meant a man's private pocket money. For, for instance, the money that a servant could make by working overtime. A little bit extra. Making over and above a little bit extra money to put in the kitty. Or such as a wife might have apart from her husband. You know, a little special fund. Rainy day fund. Or when children speak of a thing being their very own, this expresses the idea of peculiar. Now stay with me. From this sense of making over and above by working overtime, working over hours, this word in other places comes to mean earning by hard work. Hang on. In such a way to establish peculiar rights of property over this thing earned. And this is where we see it. And this is how it affects us. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, Paul the Bible teacher, the man who God inspired to write a ton of the New Testament, Paul is saying his final goodbyes to the elders from the church of Ephesus. You see in the New Testament we have this book called Ephesians. That's the church at Ephesus. And so Paul is saying his final goodbyes. And this is what he says. He says, keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The church which God has placed you in responsibility for, keep watch over yourselves and them. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. God bought us with himself. Again, the Lord has given us nothing less than himself. God bought us with himself. Jesus has earned us by hard work. The hard work, the hard sacrifice which he endured at the cross. Think about that. This is why we are called a peculiar possession. We have been bought for a price. Jesus has bought us. This is who we are. He's earned us by the hard work and the hard sacrifice which he endured at the cross. We are a chosen people, a peculiar people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession because Jesus has earned us. Remember who you are. And we're called all of the above for a reason. So that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him. Him, capital H, the Lord, being the one who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. At Christmas time, we, we recite this verse from Isaiah. This one from chapter 9 that says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. The Messiah is coming. Well, the Messiah has come. And Peter's saying that we've been brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord, and that we are to proclaim Him. Not just in our worship here, in, either in the parking lot or in the building, but that we will proclaim the excellencies of the Lord to everyone around us. We're going to talk about the difference the gospel has made in our lives around the dinner table, around the restaurant table. We're going to talk about the difference the gospel has made to, to those trusted friends who don't know the Lord. 
those ones for whom we are praying, those ones that we want to see, we want to worship with them in our church. Peter is saying, remember who you are. This is who you are. This is your privilege. This is your inheritance. As he's told us in chapter 1, this is your responsibility. Remember who you are. And then he says this, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, we, we at one time were not a people. We were unclaimed. We were unwanted. We had not received mercy, but now we are the people of God who have received mercy. We are God's own peculiar possession. Remember who you are. The excellencies of Him the cornerstone, the precious cornerstone who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Several decades before Peter wrote these words, we see another reference to cornerstone. And it's right after Jesus is born in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is eight days old. And Joseph and Mary, they bring him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord at the temple. It, it, baby dedication, it's infant dedication, and they bring baby Jesus to the temple. There's an old man in Jerusalem whose name is Simeon. And Simeon is righteous and devout, and he's looking for what the prophets would call the consolation of Israel, the coming of the Messiah. And the Lord has revealed to Simeon that Simeon would not see death before he had seen the Christ. He's told old Simeon, you will live long enough to lay eyes on the Messiah. Simeon comes into the temple. Imagine, mom and dad have the baby in the temple, and this old man comes in whom they don't know. And he takes baby Jesus in his arms. And he blesses God and he says... My eyes have seen your salvation, for which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph, and they're standing there in amazement. And Simeon, old Simeon, says to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And then Simeon says something peculiar. A stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. Old Simeon quotes Isaiah chapter 8, which in turn Peter would quote in verse 8 of his letter this morning. A stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. And one Bible teacher said it like this. That Jesus, in his humiliation on the cross, taking all the sins of us on himself when he died on the cross, that is the stone against which men fall. And Christ, Jesus in his glory, in his exaltation, when he is raised and he is ascended to the right hand of the Father, this is the stone which strikes them. Because of what Jesus has done in defeating sin, defeating death, and defeating hell, we are, 
we can be and we are. If we've trusted in what Jesus has done, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Earned with the hard work of of Jesus on the cross so that we can proclaim the excellencies of the Lord who's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. This light of revelation, which Simeon said, this light of revelation is now the glory of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And and this light of revelation is Jesus. He's the glory of you and me. Peter is saying, He is your glory. Remember who you are. We who were once unwanted, once unclaimed, we have been purchased with nothing less than the blood of Jesus. We proclaim the kindness of the Lord because we've experienced the kindness of the Lord. The Lord has given us nothing less than Himself. And as a result, what Jesus has done in our lives should impact and influence how we live. We are to remember who we are in Jesus.